Cliffhanger. Welcome, people. Welcome, secret army of planet Kakak. It's a pleasure to be in your ears again. I am Father Molotov, and we are in for a crazy ride. We've come a long, long way together Through the hard times and the good I have to celebrate you, baby I have to praise you like I should You're so rare so fine I'm so glad you're mine you're so We're all going to be anonymous on this radio show. I am anonymous. I'm Father Molotov. Our guest is going to be anonymous under the name of Brother Breakfast PhD. And uh, you, listener, also have to be anonymous. So we're transmitting with Mixcloud. And I'm very happy to see all you listeners flocking in Mixcloud. But please don't make an account with your real name. Because we talk about explosive stuff. We don't want any of the secret services fucking with us. You make me rise and fall. So this week I learned that we shouldn't worry about that until we have like 10,000 listeners in a Radio Kakak Nation that will let us alone. But still, when we will reach 10,000, they will listen back to all the episodes. So you don't want to be in danger. Anonymize yourself now.
and all the good I'm gonna take this day to celebrate you, baby Cause I have to stop and praise you like I should You're so rare, take your praise, and you're so fine And I hope you know I'm glad you're mine Good morning, people. Welcome. It is Sunday, 11 October 2020. It's a very interesting year of great madness. And I'm here to bring musical healing and expertise to you. And today I'm going to do it through your a Sunday morning service. I'm bringing back meaning into your day of 2020. Thanks to our fantastic guest who is about to join us. Wink. And uh, yeah, 2020, one other year of madness. We have pandemics, we have conspiracy theories, we have uh, Donald Trump, president of the United States, gonna win the elections again, maybe, we don't know. We have computers and artificial intelligence taking over the planet. We have huge, the usual, you know, people exploiting other people situation that's for all years so far we have military tensions we have a fantastic breakfast in front of us we keep going of course oh ye sirens who call me into the sea I try to run, but I know that you're my destiny. Scaled up the game, we're not going for world peace anymore, we're going for world domination. So I no longer run, I turn and swim with the dolphin and the man within. Well, let's introduce our fantastic guest. Our guest is Brother Breakfast. Brother Breakfast is an expert in geopolitics, which is the science of conquering the world, or actually studying people that are trying to conquer the world. He's a democracy strategist, an international security advisor. He is one of the person that you want to call up when the whole shit hits the fan and we have to organize the resistance he's a thorn in the side of emperors he has written articles about all these topics in all the most famous newspapers he went viral in russia he is dialing in from australia there must have been a better way gotta find a better way Look at all the children who's coming now. They help a better way. They love a better way. What we're gonna do with the things that we've been given. Let me take you to Zimbabwe. Where they know not day from night When the good music plays Into the air Let it up 
cables with the internet under the sea and there are satellites in the internet in the sky they're all set up for you to enjoy this guy who is in Australia drinking an Italian drink and uh, is going to talk about power and the survival of the fittest should we stay or should we go ask your heart and it will always know Are they coming or are they running? Ask your heart and you will always know. I need no, no, the answer to our prayers. Send in your questions. Uh, wake up your fingers and send us any question at any time. Because, yeah, if we gotta conquer the world, we gotta do it good. And um, yeah, good morning, everyone. There you go. Let's call up our guest. Ah. <sighs> It's great to be here again. Thank you for being there, listener, anonymously. Oh, there you go. Hello? Hey, Bro- hear me? Brother Breakfast, you are live on Radio Kak Kak. Honor, thank you. S- please say, greet the listener. Hello, know. dear listeners. I hope we can... um provide you with some light entertainment for your breakfast this morning entertainment infotainment actually i usually yes, call true. it enterlightenment oh it's a good one uh thank you so much for being here in our sunday morning service where um yeah today we're going to talk about the survival of the fittest and maybe i was wondering uh how's your garden uh, going do you garden do you do gardening uh my garden is going terribly on several fronts i had when i moved into the apartment i live in i went and bought all of these like you know wall hanging installation garden things with this grand plan of having a both a sort of aesthetic flower wall and then also a productive herb and like vegetable sort of area and it's just never in three years gone off it's now just like just dirt (laughs) 
and um I also started I tried to start very ambitiously like this big garden uh in my mum's backyard uh when coronavirus started just as a sort of you know, something to do during lockdown and that's completely overgrown now and sort of gone to seed so I'm I'm a terrible gardener don't ask me for any advice that's fantastic you're not a terrible gardener a terrible gardener is someone who doesn't even start please don't give up do you have some plant that's still oh, alive try. and you enjoy I actually had some modest success with a uh, with some choy sum I think that grew but then uh, possums ate it all Oh, possums. Okay. It's fantastic to have a, a guest from Australia. First of all, mother tongue. So no funky <laughs> accents, or at least legit funky accents. And second of all, you have such different <laughs> flora and fauna out there. Yeah. Are, are possums dangerous? No, they're very cute. I mean, I think they occasionally like will sort of give your finger a little nibble if you're trying to pat them or you corner them or something. But no, not dangerous. Little nibble? That sounds not dangerous at yeah. all. Yeah, no, they're fine. They're very cute. And they ate your vegetables. They did, yeah. And um, what else in Australia? How's the weather? Do you have a pandemic of coronavirus in uh, Australia? Um, not really. These days, I think it's about you know ten people a day in the whole country. Oh, nice. So, here, yeah. uh, well, not here, but in the Netherlands. <laughs> In the Netherlands, <laughs> it's not going well. To all the listeners from no. uh, other parts of the world, help! No, it's okay. It's uh, it's one of the only countries where they don't not encouraging use of face masks. Uh, wow, that's great. You don't have coronavirus, but do you let people in and out? No, oh, it's crazy. It's uh, I'm actually quite jealous of Europe. So my understanding, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems that. Even now, with this sort of second increase in coronavirus cases, there's relatively few deaths. So, like, way fewer people are dying, although way more. So, it's just really that more. there's more testing and more people are being identified. Yeah. But it's looking like the death rate is actually very low. Yeah. And you guys are allowed to travel and do things, whereas here, we, we've just been told, actually, that we shouldn't expect to be able to leave our country for at least another year. Oh, you're going to stay in so Australia. You're not allowed, we're banned from leaving. We're banned from leaving our own country itself. Oh. And we, we also can't yet even visit other states. Oh, great. Yeah. So, like, the different states within Australia are blocking their borders to the other ones. <laughs> we heard this uh, story on the news yeah. about the flight, uh, that uh, mm -hmm. Qantas flight from Sydney to Sydney. That was just for people to give them uh, the thrill of flying again. Yeah, it is so disgusting. I was so furious about that. Why were you just furious? Like pouring carbon. It's flying is like the most destructive use of uh, carbon possible, <laughs> and everyone supposedly hates flying. Yet, you know, just because we're so addicted to destroying the planet, these idiots will just pay thousands of dollars for the privilege of just pouring jet fuel over the fucking country. <laughs> But the, 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 the news was they was immediately sold out. Oh, it did. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're also apparently doing flights to Antarctica and back. Oh, that's cool. So you just fly over Antarctica. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of cool. But... Did it go like over the Uluru? I think it went to Uluru. Oh, that's super cool, back. actually. I've, I was actually speaking to a scholar of um, 
community digital communications the other day and she told me that um zoom call i'll i'm sure i'll miss misquote the exact figures but she said that the use of servers and like sending and receiving of high quality video and audio is so it requires so much like data transfer that like your average zoom call is literally worse than flying from europe to north america for a meeting what to like have a because zoom call carbon. yeah it requires more carbon yeah. oh my god yeah that's what she told me <laughs> i mean especially when you add it up right so like 900 people can fit on fit on a jumbo jet or something like 300 <laughs> it, oh my yeah, god i was i was very disheartened when i heard that yeah and she's written a book about it, so she apparently should know. Oh, wow. Well, we often uh, forget that uh, internet is also using a lot of energy. In fact, we the people are building so many data centers uh, in the planet. Mm -hmm. It's like exponentially growing. I think no amount of uh, solar panels can uh, reverse that. So I think uh, no. I don't want to make uh, the listener feel sad. But uh, I think we are kind of. Uh, I, I'm, I'm growing to accept the reality of climate disaster, and I'm ready to surf it to the best of my skills to enjoy it. So we're not uh, no more prevention. Now it's the embrace, warm embrace of climate catastrophe. I mean, I, I feel like I've been trying prevention for 10 years and I thought that I everybody would been. pick That's it up. That's why I'm so disappointed to hear you of all people say that. But I thought like people would pick it up and they would go like, whoa, look at Father Molotov. He's so cool. I want to do what he does. But uh, people were not yeah. doing that. I mean, they're slowly starting, but uh, I'm like, this is going, going uh, way too For slow. everyone that starts, there's 10 others to come and yeah. pour fuel on the fire. Yeah. Okay, now uh, we need a more happy topic because uh, it's Sunday yeah. morning. Although it's always good to make people feel sad, so then we give them the key, the solution, and they're addicted. Okay. I would like to say so take them on an emotional ride. Yeah, emotional ride. I would like to give a shout to Doctor Wow who is listening, and then uh, we also have Mosaic. I think is listening. Fran, I hope she's listening. She couldn't open the link. We have a lot of, we have Armillaria, big shout, good morning Armillaria. And we have a lot of Anons, which are not conspiracy theorists, but it's just anon <laughs> anonymous people that, that they click on their phone. That's and the they... secret service? Yeah, those, <laughs> those are the spies. So, hello, Russian spies. Yes, we're going to talk about Russia, so stay tuned. I hope to welcome from this episode some Iranian spies. Because Iranian <laughs> is actually militarily very strong, and also th their hacker army is very strong, and we kind of tend to brush them off. But I would welcome them as my enemies, which of course I love as enemies. But I'm gonna defeat you unless you become nice, and then we can talk. Yeah, it's pretty funny, man. Like I used to laugh at uh, at you being paranoid about that. Now I'm paranoid about it. You know, there was some guy who got killed because he was an activist in Holland by Iranians. Really? Yeah. No, I didn't know about that. Terrible. Um, I'm going to play a song dedicated to Fran and, uh, and then we get back and get into how to conquer the planet.
Baby, don't make me spell it out for ya. All of the feelings that I got for ya. Can't be explained, but I can try for ya. Yeah, baby, don't make me spell it out for ya. You keep on asking me the same questions. And second guessing all my intentions. Should know by the way I use my compression. That you got the answers to my confessions. It's like I'm powerful with a little bit of tender. An emotional sexual bender. Mess me up, yeah, but no one does it better. There's nothing better. That's just the way you make me feel. That's just the way you make me feel. Brother Breakfast, you said that you're not allowed to leave the country for at least one year, and no one in Australia is allowed to leave. It's not just you because of your uh, strategic importance, but everybody's locked no, in. No, just... Can you go to New Zealand? Yeah. Well, they're talking about opening up a bubble, a travel bubble between Australia and New Zealand, and maybe some other Pacific islands. Like, so if that happens, New Zealand should watch out because there are going to be a lot of desperate Australians just flooding into their beautiful, pristine country and ruining it. <laughs> but you're still letting people in, right? Even if you cannot go out. Uh, not really, no. I, I, so we apparently we have like 100,000 Australian expats overseas that are trying to get back. And we have a daily quota of, I think, I don't know whether it's a few hundred or a thousand, but there are, there's a long wait to get in. And, um, the the government's been criticized a lot uh, because they're allowing foreigners with large enough investments in Australia to come in uh, and take the place of Australian citizens who don't have all that money. What, so rich rich people are first? Yeah, rich people are allowed to come in and people with private jets are allowed to come in, but Australian citizens have to wait. And uh, what about uh, like 
economic migrants, like people like my grandparents, my granddad who flew to Australia no, in the no, 60s. No. Migration is over for this year at least and probably next year. There's, we take in something like, I think it's between two and 300,000 people a year here. And we, that my, migration is like the, the main grower of our economy. And uh, it's we're not going to have it for at least two years, it seems. So it'd be interesting to see how that affects the place. Is this people like uh, we have in Europe that uh, like low skilled workers that come with a boat and risk to die? Or no. Or like skilled? No, it's well, it's we have a two tier system, right? So we have uh, highly skilled migration migrants. And we do, uh, this sort of invest, we have a special visa for investors. So if you can show that you're going to bring, I think it's $5 million into the country, you're just fast tracked right in. <laughs> Five million. Uh, okay. Yeah. Then we have, um, we have a really weird, uh, and really exploitative, uh, migration system for like students. So we bring in a lot of students from South Asia, East Asia, um, and they're allowed to work officially for like 20 hours a week here. So they pay a lot of money to get the student visa, then they pay a lot of money to these educational institutions. Uh, and then they also work the low skill, uh, low paying jobs here. So they're getting absolutely screwed by, by our country. And what about the people that don't want to go to university and don't have five million? Uh, like refugees. They can wait in line. What about refugees? A long line. Uh, we we allow, I think it's thirteen thousand something, some tens of thousands of refugees a year in, but we have an extremely strict regime of uh, basically locking, indefinitely detaining refugees with no, yeah. They haven't committed any crimes, obviously, but um, it's it's very violent and and terrible for the refugees, and the government does it basically to deter other refugees from coming. It's um, it's, uh, it's actually lauded in Europe by a lot of the far right. There, um, they say we should do what Australia does, which is just very very hard on refugees. I'm sure the Pope is not agreeing with that. No, I'm sure he's not. I don't he's, know. I don't count him as the far right in Europe. I don't know. I don't know what is his <laughs> official policy on the migration of Australia. But uh, it was nice. He uh, was one of the only popes that said, "Come on." One. I mean, one of the only leaders that was saying, "Like, come on, poor guys. We have to help them." It's it's very refreshing. Yeah. It's super fun to be a refugee altogether. But uh, if also they don't let you in, it's also and they put you in a camp. Oh, it's it's yeah they. They have a gulag archipelago in the Pacific here. We we lock them up in other countries. Even it's not even in our own country. We where do you lock them? Bribe, Papua New Guinea and Nauru. They're like islands in the Pacific. Yeah, well, Papua New Guinea is the oh, big island. Yeah, um, it's in Indonesia. The, uh, no, it's half of half of the island of New Guinea is. West Papua, which is in Indonesia, and the other okay. half is an independent state. And that's uh -huh. where we send them. And then the other one is a tiny, tiny little f island made out of phosphate. Um, used to be one of the richest places in the world per capita, and now it's just a big uh, jail for Australia. Wow. That is... Um...
Yeah, we also put them in uh, holiday destinations in Greece, Sicily, and <laughs> Turkey. Do you? Yeah, also oh, Turkey. Yeah, as the sort of EU policy. Yeah, like Turkey and uh, and Greece are kind of now getting a bit tense between them because Turkey is having yeah. so many yeah, refugees. But the funny thing is that Turkey is getting a lot of refugees. It's like getting full of people from Syria. And then the EU yeah. is like, why do you keep sending them to us? Well, they want to go to Europe. <laughs> They're not necessarily wanting to go to Turkey. Yeah, Turkey's supporting all of the jihadists that are making their lives in Syria unbearable too. A lot of people want to also come in from... Uh, sub-saharan africa we also don't have much yeah. space for them because they're not even refugees they're more like economic migrants like me <laughs> um yeah what do we do about that i mean because uh, i'm thinking we want we say that we want justice and equality but uh we also our uh, freedom is and uh, the, all the freedom that we enjoy in in the West, I will put Europe and Australia together for a moment. It's also due to the fact that we have very high walls around us, so we cannot share. I figure, um, you know, the the easiest way to start any policy on refugees or economic migrants is to stop starting wars in foreign countries that drive all of this people fleeing and also start practicing, you know, equitable economic arrangements that aren't exploitative and predatory. And that way people won't have to like, people don't want why would Nigerians want to move to the Netherlands? I, I think Nigeria is probably more culturally rich, um, you know, has a stronger sense of community and, and I'm sure they all have much more profound ties to that. It's just, yeah, the money. So, Maybe if we stop and the fucking bling. everyone else over. Yeah, but uh, people always move. You know, we all been like uh, moving. I mean, find uh, some people that have been sedentary in one place forever. Yeah, so not forever, but not in the not on this scale. I mean, Europe has been. Yeah, it usually happens over generations and millennia, not not you know five years. Not a million Syrians in one year, you know? Yeah. That's war. So, I think uh, now we have to play a song. And uh, sure. I, you can choose between two songs. One is uh, a cappella gospel choir to see if uh, we can bring some uh, spirituality what, is it into please our be, hearts. Please be patient with me. Oh no, it was Swing Low Sweet Chariot. It's beautiful. Oh, yeah, go, I, I'm going with that. Shit, I want to gospel. say. All right, there it is, Cliffhanger. What's the other song? <laughs> well, I looked over Jordan and what did I see? Coming for to carry me Coming for to carry me 
swing low, swing low, sweet chariot, coming for to carry me Swing down cherry stop and let me ride. Swing down cherry stop and let me ride. Lord, rock me, Lord, slow and easy. Know that I've got a home on the other side. Well, if you get there before I do, coming forward and carry me home. Tell all my friends that I'm coming to, coming forward and carry me home. Why don't you swing? swing down chair stop and let me ride? Won't you swing? Swing down chair stop and let me ride. Rock me, Lord, rock me, Lord. Slow and easy. Know that I've got a home on the other side. Well, I'm sometimes up and I'm sometimes down. Coming for you, carry me home. But I know that my soul is a heavenly bound. Coming for you, carry me home. Why don't you swing? Swing down, cherry stop and let me ride. Won't you swing? Swing down, cherry stop and let me ride. Rock, rock me, Lord, rock me, Lord. Slow and easy, know that I've got a home on the other side. You know that I've got a home on the So that was good to hear some uh, God-inspired choir while reflecting about uh, millions of people fleeing from wars. And uh, I was wondering, yeah, uh, Mr. Breakfast, why did you study, because you're obviously an expert of international security, did you study why, why whether or not the West, so Europe, uh, and uh, the US and Australia and the West, whether they also start wars? Whether they also start wars? <laughs> yeah. Um, wow, oh, that's a soft question. Uh, yes, I have studied that. And yes, they most certainly do start wars. You mean like this uh, year or the past years? Or what? When? Well, we're 20 years into, I think it's the longest war in American history in Afghanistan, which is after 20, uh, they, there was actually a really good um, study just published on the anniversary of September 11th, and it's called the Cost of War Project. And it's mapped all of the costs in human lives uh, uh, and economic impact of the war on terror. So, yeah, America's been, you know, long history of starting 
was before then, but those were in particular are the ones we're still living with, and they're the ones that have sort of driven refugees into Europe. Uh, they've cost the U.S. trillions of dollars, and they—I think it's eight hundred thousand people in the Middle East have been killed. So, 800. yeah, plenty good at starting wars. So, uh, sorry, but uh, I gave yeah. the news a few weeks back that uh, Trump had uh, signed a peace agreement with the Taliban's, and the war was finished. Is that fake news? Yeah, exactly. Uh, no, well. I'm not sure if you can say the war is finished, but yes, the Taliban, there has now been, after a 20-year conflict that cost trillions of dollars, uh, countless lives, so much trauma to children in this country, uh, the same thing, the same people are coming in to run it that did, that were there to begin with. So, achieves nothing other than so, to... Why are we starting these wars? Um, we... Well, there's a few different like explanations. That, I mean, I'll just say what I think. Yeah, uh, that the United States, yeah, the United States is the head of a global empire and has been since the end of World War II. Uh, that was initially, uh, for quite a long time, what is described as an empire by invitation. So, most of the other powerful countries in the world, other than the Soviet Union, uh, wanted the United States to basically set up and administer a system of world uh, administration, governance, laws, trade, uh, and a security architecture because it would give stability after the 30 years crisis of Europe basically completely decimating itself. Um, so the US sets up this empire and it is mostly uh, welcomed by the other most powerful countries. Uh, it stops the most powerful countries going to war with each other. But flip side of that is that there is a lot of competition between the U.S. and the Soviet Union in the peripheral countries. So the small countries, the third world, you start seeing a lot of wars spring up there between you know proxies of the United States and, and the Soviet Union. Um, that comes to a close when the Soviet Union collapses and America achieves unipolarity. Uh, being the only significant world power for a while. And in that period, the U.S., you know, if it was really what it had claimed to be doing the whole time is, you know, fighting for freedom and democracy and, you know, a world in which countries can come together and sort out their differences through institutions, then that would have been the end of it. And they would have used, you know, their basically limitless power at that time to uh, to achieve world peace. Wait, but wait, instead, I heard the word peace. Yes. And at that point, the US could have achieved the word peace. Oh, well, I said that's pretty, a little bit tongue in cheek, but you know, the US <laughs> had all of the power in the world, basically. And, and they had set up this, you know, what is nominally a democratic system of international relations. Well, then, so, you know, the US has all of this power, but instead of using it to, you know, basically create stability and compromise and democracy it undergoes this uh neoconservative sort of revolution after clinton clinton gets going with humanitarian in inverted commas humanitarian interventions in say yugoslavia so the u.s already is starting to invade uh and 
impose its will on areas of the world that it hadn't up until then. Um, but it really kicks off in the Middle East with uh, the neoconservatives who come to power in the Bush administration, the Bush Jr. administration, and who have a radical ideological vision of reshaping the world in America's image. Um, basically, the wars in the Middle East start because the group of neoconservatives, so people like Richard Pearl, Paul Wolfowitz, uh, Scooter Libby, like you, all come to power. U.S. politicians, they are well, in the public. Yeah, power. they're politicians, but they're also sort of public intellectuals, huh. scholars. Um, they're lobbyists. A lot of them work in, have other jobs in sort of the defense industry, yeah, yeah, uh, the yeah. energy industry, and they come to power under George W. Bush, and they have, they have been building up this ideology since, since the seventies, but particularly in the nineties, project for a new American century which was a think tank uh, where they all worked, uh, which had this vision of like, okay, how do we use this power? So America is now the most, probably the most powerful country that has ever existed in the history of the planet. Well, they decided that uh, this is a once in a, in world history opportunity to reshape the world around what we want. And they advocate that, you know, that the US needs to be active, not passive in its foreign policy. They need to actually dramatically ramp up their military spending, even though the whole justification for the creation of the national security state and the military industrial complex had been that we have to stop the Soviet Union. So the Soviet Union stopped. And then instead of, you know, having what's called a peace dividend, where you draw down your military spending, which was done to some degree under Clinton, the neoconservatives argue that we need to increase our military spending greatly to take on uh, these ideological threats. So the axis of evil, as it was labeled, it's uh, rogue states, um, terrorist networks. All so of these. like Iran, Iraq, yeah, North Korea, um, and yeah, the terrorist networks, Al-Qaeda, all of that. It sounds a bit to um, me like uh, it was... We had a lot of militaries. I mean, the U.S. had a lot of military people and they were like, what are we going to do now? And they could think of only one solution. More military. <laughs> then, you know, they're just trained. Yeah. And the whole system is built, the army, to destroy. So they can, they're never going to say, now we're going to do peace. Well, it's not the military, though. Like, if you read the defense policy planning, the stuff that comes out of the Pentagon in this time is actually not bellicose it's they're not the ones that are looking for war the ones that are advocating for war are coming from the military industrial complex so, so the like arms the, manufacturers who make money the business absolutely. people that make the weapons right yes and but also the uh the neoconservatives who work in government uh and and in media and in think tanks and as lobbyists and and they are extremely influential so and, and if anyone of the listener is a businessman in the weapon industry we have to talk please contact me uh, at father molotov on instagram and we're gonna be talking business also if someone is a lobbyist in a think tank uh, or if someone wants to set up a radio kakak think tank and lobbying maybe you brother breakfast uh, could be the right person yeah yeah if i really need to sell out i think i could have a career there 
no 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 we start our own think tank uh, you're not gonna say loud you're gonna realize what's what are you trying to achieve i mean now we know that the u.s was starting all these wars just uh well, yeah, why why actually did they do there's no, a few wait. reasons why okay Sh two reasons why let me get three three so wake up hackers listeners wake up okay i play a song cliffhanger three reasons why the u.s decided that it was good to continue to make wars we're gonna hear it after this song called war Until the color of a man's skin is no more significant than the color of their eyes, I say war. Until the philosophy which holds one race superior and another inferior is finally and permanently discredited. And abandoned everywhere is war. War. But until there's no longer first class and second class citizens of any nation. That until the color of a man's skin is of no more significance than the color of his eyes. Basic human rights are equally guaranteed to all without regard to race. And they say that until that day, the dream of lasting peace, where citizenship and the rule of international morality will remain in. But never attained Well, everywhere is war War in the East War in the West Alright, we have a question from a listener He asks, why did the Mossad not capture Trump? when he was ill from corona. Right, uh, probably because Trump is one of the best presidents Israel could ever want. So they're good friends. He, uh, they, they're naming settlements in the West Bank after Trump. He's a huge, huge uh, asset to Israel and Israeli expansion, so. They love him. Yeah, I'm sure, that, I'm sure the Mossad's very happy to have Trump though. Yeah, this song was actually uh, written by Bob Marley 
I mean, it's actually based on a speech that uh, Haile Selassie, the emperor of Ethiopia, uh, gave to the United Nations. Yeah, and it says that until there's no justice, there's gonna be war. But um, Mr. Breakfast, Brother Breakfast yes, PhD, yeah, you were explaining to us why the West is making war because the West didn't have a problem with justice necessarily. Didn't start all these wars because of justice, or at least I thought. But you said there are three reasons. What are they? Well, yeah, there are probably more than three, but I can think of three the three main ones. I would say we can start with the one that was the most talked about at the time, if you remember, when uh, the Iraq war was just kicking off, which was oil. Oil. Everyone was like, oh, yeah, you know, Bush is, Bush is going in for oil, Cheney, ExxonMobil, uh, Halliburton are all after Iraq's oil. There's Cheney was the vice president, quite... right? Yeah, yeah, and, and he's he was, seen as he, probably the most powerful vice president. Because you know, I'm just speaking for the young generations that were kids when there was the Iraq War. Yeah, yeah. So the vice president yeah. came from the oil industry, and that's how they started yes. Iraq. He was a massive. He was a very wealthy man, um, but he was also uh, he was former Secretary of Defense, I think, for Reagan. Oh, one of you know, he he was a he was a member of Congress and uh, held a bunch of senior positions in administration. And, and also the, so, the U.S. made up reasons. They've pretended that Iraq had... Uh, weapons of mass destruction. Yeah, yeah, we don't even have to talk about that because no. it was a proven lie. Just for the uh, young generations that don't know it, it's, it's nice to say that they sure, fabri yeah. fabricated well, the claim the was that Yes, the claim was that Iraq was this imminent threat uh, because it had chemical and biological weapons and was pursuing a nuclear weapon and all of this was very quickly proven to be a lie yeah and in the meanwhile they already started the war yes yeah uh there are some really good books written by former cia very senior cia officers who say that actually the cia was quite strongly against starting the war and they were trying to resist the neocons in uh the pentagon and in the administration by providing evidence to say to well to demonstrate there is no evidence that there are weapons of mass destruction and they were systematically shut down and told by Bush White House officials that, you know, your job is to give us evidence that there are weapons. Not so it was fake news before so fake news existed. Yeah, well, fake. It was a, yeah, a complete intelligence, uh, you know, manipulation to justify a war. Now you can start fake yeah. news with just a blog from Macedonia. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah, that, the first problem. reason was oil. Well, it's it's not just oil. Oil is the best exemplar of this, but it's economic interest. So U.S. oil companies had been shut out of Iraq uh, in favor of, I think, French and Russian operators. Uh, they wanted to get in there. But it's also that it gener war generates a hell of a lot of money anyway. And we, we always talk about like money being wasted in war that, you know, say the Iraq war was this waste of trillions of dollars but it's not but in reality it's that no those trillions of dollars aren't being poured into the desert they are being paid to uh how to industry arms manufacturers yeah. energy companies yeah. uh to every you know to uh to mercenary groups which sprang up uh, on a large scale in the middle east yeah um to services all sorts of services uh, uh engineers chemicals industry everything 
So it's war is very profitable for some part of uh, the American domestic economy yeah. uh, who tend to lobby for it and who tend on these think tanks that drum up the uh, sort of narrative that war we need to go to war now to save democracy. Yeah, I mean, uh, in the Holland, there was a big debate about whether they should buy four or five war airplanes because these things are so incredibly expensive. Were they the F-35s? I guess. The ones from America, the new... Maybe, I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah, they, they also like are complete lemons. They just fall apart. <laughs> They're seen as like one of the biggest boondoggles in American history. They're so so expensive and they don't work and they they're outperformed by previous generation planes and simulations it's crazy australia's buying like fucking 100 or something how much does one cost i think they're 135 million or something like that each one plane. one airplane wow you can pull it down with a rocket yeah all right so yeah well no they go down in range in the rain. rain stops them working sometimes. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, they're really, they're really, really bad. Okay. Pretty funny. <laughs> okay. Um, um, yeah. So reason number two. Yeah. Uh, regional allies of America. So Israel, absolutely, their policy is to, their long-standing policy to destabilize um, other states in the region. Israel doesn't want a powerful Iraq. Israel doesn't want a powerful Syria. Israel doesn't want a powerful Iran. Um, so, and they're very influential, uh, particularly in the neoconservative movement. But, but in America in general, there are good books written on this by leading scholars. Uh, one's called The Israel Lobby by Mir Shimer and uh, Stephen Walt. Uh, uh, Saudi Arabia, very similar story. Hugely influential. Most of the hijackers uh, that conducted the terrorist attack were Saudi. Which so, terrorist attack? Uh, September 11. Yeah, so September 11, indeed. But I can understand Israel wants does it want a strong Iraq and a strong Iran. Why does Saudi Arabia Sorry? doesn't want? What does Saudi Saudi Arabia doesn't want? Well, we're talking about all of the wars in the region, right? So, I mean, Iraq was a threat to Saudi Arabia. Iraq is a is a there, there come, comes into play uh, the structure of domestic politics in the Middle East. So there are generally three types of administra- of governments there. There are sort of uh, mon- despotic monarchies like Saudi Arabia that are held up through their alliances to the West. There are Arab nationalist uh, either democracies or dictatorships. So things like uh, what Egypt was. Um, but Syria, you know, the Ba'ath Party, basically, and Muslim Brotherhood parties, so that, that do actually have popular consent, but are very strong Arab nationalists and want view the U.S. as sort of a bad actor, usually, are very much against Israel, but are also very much against the monarchies. So Saudi Arabia doesn't want powerful uh, political Islam parties. They want monarchies or puppet states. Uh-huh. Um, and they also, Iraq was seen as a threat to Saudi Arabia after, uh, particularly after it invaded Kuwait in 91. Yeah, so the second reason is regional allies. Yeah. American regional allies. They were like, ma- we need to get rid of those, of those guys. Yeah, and, and put a compliant, weaker government in place. Like they did in Iran. 
they haven't yet broken it. <laughs> no, up. I mean put a compliant sure week. No, they did in the seventies. No, they put a compliant week government. Oh, with the char, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's been a long-standing policy. Okay, uh, that that backfired um, a bit. Yeah, it always backfires. This is what's called blowback. So when foreign policy decisions that are generally aggressive manifest in far worse outcomes than you would have had by just leaving it. Um, and the third is is just sort of grand strategy geopolitics, right? So risk. the U.S. Really the big risk to... game. Yeah, basically. Yeah, exactly. U.S. wants to be the most powerful country uh, in every area of the world and to prevent any other rival hegemon emerging there. So mm. if it looks like, you know, the U.S. would rather have control over the resources of the Middle East and um, prevent any governments from existing there that may take the side of, you know, Russia or China in the future or prevent a, a local power emerging. So, you know, Iraq, you, now that now the big fear is this creation of this, the Shia crescent, this idea that like Iran has become so influential in Iraq, Syria and Lebanon, that that's going to create this sort of regional mega state that can threaten American power there and, and its allies. So the other, yeah, grand strategy. So um, if I understand correctly, there are many strategic reasons why the US, America and the West starts wars, conquering, making money and uh, being destroying what your allies want you to destroy. I mean, they don't really take orders from their allies, but, no, but yeah, know. it's a factor. It helps them to decide when it, when it suits them. Yes, it helps. Yeah. Yeah. So then, um, it makes me, it sounds a bit like there's uh, always going to be war or is there a point when the people will say, guys, war is never fun. We want peace. And then the, that can also influence the, the U S government. Well, that was the great hope of the socialist movement. <clears throat> And I remember, you know, if you read socialist literature before World War One, there was this idea that like the workers of the world now are going to unite and say no to the imperial overlords that demand they fight each other. And, you know, they said, you know, workers should uh, turn their bayonets around at their, at their overlords in each of their countries instead of killing each other. But it doesn't seem to work that way. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm not... Really, I mean, me personally, no, I, I think people are far too easily manipulated. And, and you, your country is probably a bit better, but here in Australia, it's astonishing how easily people can be um, convinced that some other country is a threat to them and they need to go and bomb them. Or like who, who, who's the threat in Australia? Well, China is the country that is now being framed as the great existential threat to us but it changes everything you know, you know we were australians were very enthusiastically fighting in iraq which is no possible threat to us whatsoever um on this <laughs> trumped up idea that they would send terrorists here which again never happened but you know we'll spend billions of dollars lose our own soldiers degrade our freedoms um degrade ourselves as a society to go and kill Iraqis because of this idea that we're threatened in some way. Yeah, so this is why I'm doing uh, radio. It's propaganda. I'm uh, oh. trying to convince people that, uh, yeah, that we don't need so many wars. 
Is Europeans that... seem a bit better on this, right? Well, we've been we've, we've European... gone through our thing. We've gone through our things in the past. I mean, uh, yeah. We we had this world war and that was pretty mad. Like, uh, you know, the Holocaust really was like hell on earth. Like, if you look at ancient representations yeah. of hell, it's pretty much people being burned alive, <laughs> people being stacked yeah. up and being burned alive. And we got there, and then we were like, whoa, 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 yeah, that went a bit too far. But uh, you know, we're also improving in our uh, war mongering and. Uh, who knows we might get yeah back you guys to you know, sort of memories, make money off it now the memories are a bit short uh, sometimes memory of people yeah but um is there any good reasons to have war that we should never stop i mean yeah i think there are you know hitler's a pretty good reason if there's a holocaust happening or if there's like you know can't, people do you do have to, in some situations, stop a psychotic, uh, destructive actor from just, mur you know, wholesale genociding people. Um, but there are, you know, the. it's very important to look at the long process of history that leads up to these wars. It's never, you know, I, I don't believe Hitler could have ever come to power without you know, the events of World War One, the conditions of the Versailles Treaty, the economic structures that prevailed in the interwar years, which sort of saw Germany largely excluded from what became autarkic spheres of trade and commerce. So, yeah, you need to... There are situations where, you know, in the real world that we live in, obviously, uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not a complete pacifist. I think there are good reasons to fight sometimes, but... Uh, a wise foreign policy will look at the long durée of conditions that lead up to conflict between states, not just the event, and uh, try to structure their foreign policy in a way that prevents those sorts of tensions from developing over decades, which is something we're absolutely not doing now. Yeah, right but now, also, not all countries are... rolling into another war. Not, not all countries are powerful enough to decide what what to do with the world i mean uh, there's always a uh, yeah someone uh, is stronger and is dictating the game and then other countries like the, if they're small yeah. and very dependent on the yeah on uh yeah on the stronger powers they, they don't really have much of a choice unless they join together or unless they do a badass something badass yeah, or, you know, they can at least try to not fall into it. They can have a robust democracy that's anti-war. They can have a society and economy that is anti-war. So I'd say Australia is certainly a, an insignificant country in the scheme of things. Uh, and we're not threatened by anyone. We're incredibly safe. We don't have borders with any other country. Um, we have an ocean protecting us. We're very rich. Um, we have a quite capable military. That's but right. instead of you yeah. know, but we also make a policy of selling weapons. We our government has just uh, established it as a core mission of the of the government to make Australia a top ten arms exporter. So we actively promote war. We don't. We're not just taking. It's not just that America sends us to war. We as a society uh, promote militarism. So there are a lot of things small countries can do other than. They don't have to control whether a war starts. You know, Sweden. I mean, Sweden 
is lauded as this, you know, country that is so well run and peaceful. They have the Nobel Peace Prize in Sweden, all of this shit, but they're also a major arms exporter. Um, <laughs> so we do a lot of things to fuel war, even if we don't control when they start. But after all, it seems like everyone has, uh, you know, war is just part of uh, human life and uh, humans are a bit warful people. Well, yeah, but you can minimize it. Yeah. Yeah, it's not part of human nature to have a, a massive arms industry that the government is literally uh, subsidizing. Do you think like that, our government uh, is pay, spending taxpayer money to develop an arms industry that wouldn't exist without government policy? So that's not just human oh yeah, nature. they shouldn't use our taxpayer money for it. And uh, do you think that? there's not going to be peace until there's justice in the world. So as long as the last group of people feel like they've been victim of an injustice, there's always going to be conflicts. Yeah, either that or there's like a global mil uh, dictatorship that is so powerful that it, it, you know, monopolizes violence for itself and prevents war in that way. That's also a nice Neither, thing because you know. now there are a lot of nuclear weapons in the world, enough to destroy the earth a couple of times over. And yeah. That kind of keeps the peace a bit. More bombs, yeah. more peace. Yeah, except this, it's very, there is a very troubling development where this, you know, what's called mutually assured destruction, the idea that because each of these large nuclear powers could destroy each other, that, that actually prevents them from having a nuclear war. It's starting to fall apart largely because of American policy, which is the U.S. in the last 10 years has massively enhanced their uh, nuclear arsenal in terms of capabilities, not numbers of bombs, but their effectiveness, their targeting effectiveness, the effectiveness of their fuses. So they're much more destructive. The best bombs. But they've also developed a, a missile shield, which was banned under... Uh, a treaty with the Soviet Union. Um, they agreed, okay, neither of us will build a missile defense shield because that would throw it into question um, the idea that we could could have a, a nuclear exchange. And uh, George W. Bush uh, unilaterally withdrew from that treaty in 2002, claiming that it was because of Iran and terrorists, when in fact it was because the U.S. wanted to, you know, have the capacity to to launch nuclear attacks and potentially come stop on any everybody wants to conquer the world and now i'm actually going to play the superpowers song this song is saying go away you and your cia go away you and your kgb and uh, I greet the hackers who have brought us off air for a bit. Greetings, hackers. You're not <laughs> going to get us down. We have the wisdom and we're not afraid to use it. This radio show will continue. Power to get me hell out of Africa. 
to have a guest who can explain us uh, in plain English without accents uh, how the world works and how the superpowers are playing risk. We also just got up to the start of the wars in the Middle East. I wanted to talk about the rise on China and Russia today, but I think you have to go because in Australia life goes on. But maybe we can talk about it another day. Yeah, how now yeah, China sure, and Russia are getting... Uh, are also getting superpowers again yeah well russia not really russia's you know australia and russian economy are the same size yeah russia but... is not an economic superpower it's a military borderline military superpower but yes nuclear weapons Oil. I mean, they have fossil fuels that yeah. Europe needs, so they also have that. Uh, they can cut yeah, the gas. But, I know. mean, if you want to go really deep into the Middle East, there's pipelines that are being, they're trying to build from, you know, Qatar and, and Iraq through Turkey to Europe to replace Russia. So, so yeah, they're gonna be that's, that's much more geopolitics. Yeah. Um, China? Do you want to give a China, shout yeah. to the Chinese hackers that are listening? Um, China, yeah, I mean, we should definitely do a whole episode on China. It's huge. The, the biggest, you know, it's been predicted for centuries that uh, China, the rise of China is going to completely reshape world politics, and I think it's finally happening. Yeah, it's so um, fun to see it happen. Yeah, fun. Uh, very, I'm, I have very mixed feelings about China. I think... 
uh, a lot of the conflict is being driven by the West rather than China. That I think China would be perfectly happy to just sort of, you know, continue making money hand over fist and growing without uh, war. But I also think that a lot of the developments you're seeing emanating or occurring in China and, and sort of beginning to emanate outwards are very troubling. You know, when it comes to higher order questions of human freedom and cultural freedom, uh, China I, does not seem that it's, you know, I, I, I don't look forward to a Chinese imperium replacing an American one, <laughs> put it that way. No. Um, yeah. So you know so much. How do you keep sane? How do you follow what's happening in the world? And uh, keep sane. Don't you? Doesn't it drive you crazy to hear uh, the injustice, yeah. the violence, the threats, the risks, and uh, all of this? Yeah. Well, you keep sane by talking about it with other people whose opinions you value and who have enlightening things to say. Um, I write quite a lot about this, so that's a good outlet. And at the same time, I do find it categorically depressing. Um, it's really, really worrying the trajectory we're on. Um, and, and we've, you know, grown our generation and even our parents' generation in the West have like never really lived through serious conflict. We've had the Vietnam War and Iraq war that were culturally very relevant but in reality affected very few western lives so i think we're as a society and culture completely unprepared for a world of conflict and it's going to be very traumatic when it happens do you um, think it will happen i do worry about that will it happen a world of conflicts in our life oh i think i'm i'm not sh um, my whole thesis is about how the united states could potentially influence things for the better um I think I'm. Mean, I there's. I've not seen anything develop in the last, you know, in my entire life really since since the Iraq War, uh, that leads me to have any positive outlook that things will get better. They seem to be getting worse, um, but who knows? Yeah, peace might just be around the corner, although I doubt it. <laughs> Yeah. I, yeah, I feel like, you know, here in Australia where the main area of sort of global power competition is in our neighborhood, I think it feels very different here than it would in Europe. What do you mean? I the Pacific? In... Or... Yeah. Well, China. China is, is, you know. Oh, it's just in your neighborhood. Is nearby, if not next to us. Yeah. Uh, but a lot of, you know, the South China Sea, the Malacca Straits, uh, they're now talking about the Indian Ocean being some, you know, because China has developed this uh, Belt and Road Initiative that depends on maritime links with North Africa, South Asia, the Middle East, that's going to heat up there. So, yeah, a lot of the strategic uh, areas of high potential conflict are near us, whereas in Europe, it doesn't. I, I, I imagine it would feel different. Yeah, we're, we're more afraid of Russia who keeps conquering Eastern European countries. 
What countries is it conquered? A piece of Ukraine. What piece? Didn't it conquer uh, like the Krim? The Crimea? Yeah. They didn't conquer it. They had a referendum. 85% voted to join Russia. Oh, okay. Great. They didn't conquer anyone. <laughs> no, I don't think so. Good, good. Not yet. We don't want fake news. I thought there was uh, tanks of Russia entering uh, Ukraine a few years back. Uh, I think there was... Yeah, there are Russian proxy forces fighting in eastern Ukraine as separatists, but I'm not sure that we can call that Russia conquering a country. Oh, that's good. That's good. We gotta we gotta tone down the uh, you know fake news the rhetoric. Yeah, yeah. sorry, I'm uh, I'm also spreading fake news. There's one rule on this radio show: I'm the only one <laughs> allowed to spread fake news. Okay, fair <laughs> the host. All right, uh, and uh, what about Russians hacking the the our news and our social media? Is that uh, also rhetoric? And we actually everything is cool. No, I'm sure they do do that, but they would do it so much less than Western intelligence agencies. I mean, the Russian capacity is so much lower. The United States has been influencing media since the creation of the CIA. They have. You, know, you can Google Operation Mockingbird if you want to find out about American media intelligence operations. They're far more sophisticated than some dumb Russian bots posting on social media. All right. Um, I think it's all terrible. This isn't a this isn't a uh, in, an endorsement of Russia doing it, but uh, it doesn't worry me so much. No. You How worried... this has worked? No, not really. I'm I'm just worried that we'll all go to war, and uh that it will be very destructive in terms of both human lives and also that it will have really bad implications for freedom, democracy in our own countries. I think when you, when states go to war, particularly long and destructive wars that are felt at home, uh, it really degrade rapidly the uh, conditions of, of, you know, society. So I'm worried about that. So you say you keep saying by writing, but I'm sorry I cannot share any link because that would uh, put your identity in danger, or your identity yeah, will no be clear and it will put you in danger. But maybe after the next <laughs> song, you can tell us about your friend who's writing and where to find his. Uh... <laughs> sure, maybe. I'm, I don't know if that's safer at all. You don't want to uncover your friend. <laughs> Maybe we can make a puzzle. Well, I didn't even know we can make a puzzle, and the listeners have to solve it. I'm sure the hackers cannot get. Yeah, that. they'll be very disappointed when they find out the answer. We have another question from sure. a again, listener. very anticlimactic. Yes, it's again from Doctor Wow. He asks, "What would happen if the U.S. would completely isolate itself from the world and just mind its own business?" Uh, well, a I don't think that is possible. The U.S. wouldn't do that. Um, but that's just, you know, the U.S. has massive investments all around the world. It has military bases. There's something like almost a thousand military bases around the world. Um, its economy is highly, you know, integrated with the rest of the world. So it wouldn't do that. But let's just say it did. I think what would happen is China would take over the world. And, you know,
be good. I think what, in my opinion, the uh, best outcome of a bunch of bad situations is a sort of balance of power in which uh, the most powerful countries, so, you know, the US, China, Russia, Europe, and probably emerging powers in Africa at some point, uh, balance each other in a way that they're capable of cooperating, but also that none of them are able to sort of to aggressively expand or influence the other because of, out of fear of, of uh, the other powers um, coming together to stop them. So this is, you know, this is the model that prevailed in Europe after the Napoleonic Wars. It's called the... Uh... How about a model where, uh, you know, all the nations, so it's okay to be nationalist and to want the best for your nation, but then all the nations realize that the best for their nation is to love the other nations. So all the powers, instead of competing, they love each other. That's the best, yes, sorry. <laughs> I think that's what could happen. Do we have any example in history of nations loving each other? Uh, no. None spring to mind. Hey, now it's your it's that chance. that biblical passage, right? You know your Bible, Isaiah? What does it say? Speaking swords into plowshares. Yeah. Nations will make war no more, whatever that is. Yeah, man, that's so there's it. There's a prophecy, but no history. Gardening is the solution. Exactly, yeah, that brought us full circle. So, <laughs> brother, breakfast. Yeah. Thank you so much for being with us. I think uh, there's two things left to do. One sure. is um, your message for mankind, just in case you die of corona before we do the next episode, or I die. You, this, <laughs> your, this is your chance to leave a message for f future and present generations. And the other thing to do is to choose which song will go after and I this time have three options one mm -hmm. is called Peace of Mind by Selassie is a great Belgian artist one is a, a hip-hop song called No Problem as in you don't mm -hmm. want the problems with me it's more like mm -hmm. the bully attitude but we need some word piece bullies and the third one is another rap song, hip-hop song, that's called Broccoli. And broccoli. it's about broccoli. No, I go the first one. Peace of mind. All right, now yes. it's your moment to give your message to mankind. Message to mankind, well, um, um, I would encourage all of your listeners to take solace in reading history and when you do that uh particularly social histories you realize that the world has always been really fucked up and that in many ways even though it's so terrible now it's actually still weirdly a lot better than you know say convict australia which is one book i'm reading now is about or another one is that i just read is montaigu in a french that's uh, about a french uh village during the uh inquisition so read history take some comfort in the fact that we do have this gradual progress in some areas and yeah try to do your bit to uh contribute to that progress yourself this world said 
people thank you for listening up to this point and uh, we are ready we're gonna conquer the forces of evil substitute them with the forces of good for peace of mind and peace of planet it stay safe corona proof check out the older episodes on mixed cloud they are all enterlightening as enterlightening as this one and uh, thank you for joining this fantastic morning edition what else can i say yeah it was great to have you here thank you for interacting and uh, thank you 
to Brother Breakfast for interrupting his breakfast, no, his dinner, just uh, to share some of his history. I think uh, we learned so much. I now have to go and sit down the whole day. Not true. I'm going to do some active things. That's always good. And uh, yeah, have a good day, guys. Don't be afraid, people. We are in this together and we all want peace. And please uh, contact me in private if you want to know the real identity of our guests. So I can send you some links where I, uh, we can uh, you can read some of his stuff. Very enlightening. And uh, yeah, I imagine some of you are also very curious to know about this shark in the photo of today's episode. The survival of the fittest. Fantastic album of Greek... Greek reggae music so this is how it sounds original Vlad yes, Mishkin Start Turn it up. originality Lord of mercy Mandin Kaskaramonchi Willing come the musical thing called originality some boy them a carbon copy go back to the printer <laughs> hey yo what is that come original Come on, Richard, you have to come on, Richard. Tell them, Sarah, Mutiman, and Kano Pasha. 
Now you are 